Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Recording. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I'm Perry Nemroff, and look who's here with me, as always, my favorite horror person in the world, and just oh. one of my favorite people in general, Haley Fouch. Oh, wow. I just realized how bad I am at making words. It's like, I don't think I've ever done that. It's <laughs> some people can throw it up, really. That was better. It's there. I see it's it. Accurate. I see it and I feel the meaning behind it. And that's, that's, what that's the Haley card. <laughs> I so, guys, we don't really have a firm lineup for you because we kind of just want some, some, chill time we want to hang and just talk about the random things that have been on our mind in genre and outside of it in general with what's going on in the movie industry right now the only locked thing we do have is i'm going to talk about that new blumhouse movie in a non-spoiler capacity because i have seen it and see this is already a problem i can't remember the damn title on it it's a very left you should have i'm pretty sure it's you should have left but I don't know. I just think it's a terrible title. It's not easy to call to mind. There are a few right now that like um, there's too many words and they're too like expressive. You should have left. I'll be alone in the dark. There's another one on HBO that I keep getting them all mixed up. Yeah. I feel like, like for whatever reason, I want to keep calling it. You never should have left, <laughs> which is the opposite. Yeah. And there's also the movie Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is great. And then there's also the Bill Nye movie, which is a title that I can't say, but it's three of those words. I think it's like rarely, sometimes never or something. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. But that's on my mind because I have to watch that as well. Uh, too many words. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta headline have words too, because you only get so many words per headline. No, that's fair. That that's very true, actually. I'm trying to think of the last movie where I tried to. Oh, you know what it is? So for the King of Staten Island, I did a bunch of interviews for that. 
And imagine the king of Staten Island taking up all my headline. But then on top of that, if I'm doing a paired interview, then you got a long title in the king of Staten Island. Plus, let's say Judd Apatow and Pete Davidson. That's all my words right there. True. The uh, the HBO one I couldn't remember was I know this much is true. Oh, yeah. is That's that the, the Ruffalo one? Yeah. Okay. I haven't watched I haven't watched any of it, but my parents are very into it. I hear it. We're true. very into it because it's over. Is it? Goodness. I think it might be over. I don't know. My my uh, HBO brain has been in Perry Mason land for the last three weeks. Right. I covered the crap out of that show. I'm so happy it's finally airing. Oh, good. I um, truly couldn't care less about Perry Mason, but I'm going to give it a shot. I went into it saying I couldn't care less because... It's just not my type of content, usually. I'm not really into the whole, like, quick-talking PI thing. And I'm allowed to say what I think about it now, so why don't I? Um, I had a really hard time getting into it at the very beginning, because, again, the quick-talking PI thing made me feel like I was lagging behind the discoveries, and, like, they were just showing me all these things, and I wasn't really engaging in the information, the mystery, or the characters. But there is a point where, like, they dig their hooks in and I was sold and I'm really fascinated by the ending and how I can't stop thinking about it for reasons that I'm not going to say here. Cause I don't want to spoil anything. No, please don't. But I, I, that's, that's interesting. I just, I never grew up with Perry Mason and I, I do like PIs on occasion, but um, you by saying that, more so than any of the trailers have made me interested in actually watching it. Obviously, Matthew Reese is really good, but I, I got very into, and not just because she was on Ladies Night, I got very into Gail Rankin's character. That's that's the character that kind of got stuck in my head more than I thought. And the same with Tatiana Maslany's character, too. She does she, have that power. She is so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never seen anything where... I'm not even just talking about, like, delivering what you need in a movie, but going well beyond it, you know? Mm-hmm. She's so talented. All right. Do you want to hear what I have to say about this movie? Real quick question. Yes. Uh, did you watch Run at all on HBO? <laughs> the funny thing is I'm I'm watching it right now. I, I'm, I've watched three episodes. Okay. We'll talk after you finish it. Wait, wait. Can you just tell me, like, it, it's a bad ending, right? That's what I've heard. Um, it's a, uh, I wouldn't call it bad. I'd say unsatisfying and abrupt. I'm in one of those situations where I need to watch many, many things for a particular show that I'm taping. So I have the choice, you know, it's like I can opt to finish a different series that's on the lineup or finish that one. So I'm trying to, that one's really short. That's true. And I think they're both kind of what made me think about it was your description of um, okay. the, you know, the acting. And I just think Merritt Weaver is so oh, yeah. And the ending totally fits with the show. It's just abrupt. And you'll be like, are you serious? Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, well, I'm curious now. I'm least. curious to hear your thoughts. And I, I would say if you're trying to balance your time, you're halfway done in their 30 minute episodes. I'm terrible at balancing my time. Haven't you learned that yet? <laughs> all right you should have left yeah you should have left so the movie is about a couple and their young daughter and they go to a secluded house in in like the Wales countryside and creepy things start to happen 
that's like that's the gist of it. Okay. Um, is it because when you describe it and when I heard about it and when I watched the trailer, sort of like what lies beneath vibes? Would that be accurate? No, no. I guess so. <laughs> oh yeah, like I could see the connections there. Okay. I just, I don't. It's like I don't want to say that I don't get the movie because I do. I think they're very on the nose with certain thematic points that they're trying to make. But then there, then there's like another layer where it, it was almost like it left me like, what's the point of all this kind of feeling? You know, when you could see what a movie's trying to do so clearly, but you, like you can't feel any of it and you don't take anything from it. That's kind of what this is. And the bigger problem with that is it's also extremely slow and dull mm. and flat. So it's like you wind up in this place where you don't get any thematic satisfaction, but you also didn't enjoy the experience at all to begin with. Like none of the scares really worked for me mm. at all. It's interesting. I'm seeing like pretty split takes on it so far. Even if you just Google it right now, the two headlines at the top are the thriller should please horror fans. And the one right next to it is you shouldn't have rented this. I like that. <laughs> who, who did that? Uh, the New York Post. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, agree with that headline. And I, I want my mom was really excited about it because obviously she's a big Kevin Bacon fan. And, you know, she loves horror just as much as we do. And we were all excited to sit down and watch it together last night. But I had, a, I had a real hard time focusing. And I thought Kevin Bacon was fine. But I thought I found but his he performance. Fine. He's looking yeah. so good in this movie. I should, I should clarify my use of the word fine. <laughs> but actually, I think it applies to both things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does. He's st- he still looks very yeah. good. I think he looks more handsome than he's ever looked. I was talking to Allie about this in a side slack. I... I'm hesitant to blame the flatness of that performance on him though. Mm. You know, cause I think it's, I think it's so bogged down by the mystery of that character that the lack of access to his headspace was done with purpose, but it also hurt the movie overall. And I think that Amanda Seyfried fares a little better because, you know, her character is a little like, like brighter, more vibrant, more charismatic. And I was very, very drawn to her, but there is a point in the movie where she's not one of your anchors anymore. Mm. And that's where I think the whole thing kind of collapsed for me. I love her. Um, She's not quite like as underrated as some of those other actresses we've discussed. Like, um, uh, gosh, why are their names not happening for me right now? Because it's Friday. But uh, she she's had a really good career, but she does often get put in these girlfriend roles. Yeah. And I, I always, I'm always hoping for the movie. Maybe it's going to be Mank, where people are like, oh, oh right, that. we should take her very seriously. I, she's very talented. I really do think with her, her ability that we've seen thus far in roles that are not on her level, I really think it's only a matter of time before she gets the right role and project combination. And she winds up in the running for an Academy Award. She, she's that good. Yeah. And she's, she like, I don't know. She's, I think mean girl is a perfect example. Mean girls. It's like, you just like her. She's not even playing like the most likable character. She's not an unlikable character, but you just like, Oh, I like that girl. Yeah, I'm bringing up her IMDb just to see if I can find any, like, 
random roles of her where I'm like, you're super good. at it. But it's like, I don't know, even now that I'm scrolling through it, it's like, I didn't see the art of racing in the rain, but she's just Milo Ventimiglia's wife, right? Yeah, I got like 10 minutes into that movie with the dog doing the voiceover. Right. And I was like, oh, oh absolutely yeah. not. I I not even for being in love with both of these actors will I finish this film. And dogs. You know, movies. It's not happening. <laughs> here's, a, here's a good one. I didn't really like this movie strictly because it didn't suit my taste enough, but I admire it a lot. First Reformed. Oh, she was really good in that. She but shines in that quite a bit. She definitely is not the focus of that film. No, 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 she's not. She's not. Um, I liked While We're Young quite a bit. And that that was a role that I thought suited her real well, too. But I know that one got a mixed response. That's like a movie that I know I saw and remember nothing about except the cast looking cool. Like her... That's her and Adam Driver, right? Yes. And they look so cool. And I they know that they're, they're like, they're sold to be the cool couple. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> cool young couple. Um, I'm surprised neither of us had said this one when we started on the uh, the Amanda Seyfried train. Do you know what I'm thinking? No. I'm going to give you two more seconds. Jennifer's Body? Yes. Okay. I'm just surprised that wasn't one of the first titles we blurted out. I am as well, because that definitely might be the movie so far that showed off what she can do the most. Yeah, I, th- I think it really is. Yeah, I, I want to feel good in it. Jennifer's body. But Always. really, even though I didn't really like You Should Have Left, I thought she was very good in it. And after the movie was... See, this is part of the problem. After the movie was over last night, we weren't really talking much about what happened in it and what it meant in the end. It's like you hit this wall where I found that there was nowhere else for the conversation to go. But instead we talked about how good Amanda Seyfried was. And also the young actress who plays their daughter. She, I was looking at her, her IMDb because I thought she was really good. And she only has two credits to her name. Um, this movie. And also apparently she was in modern family for an episode, but anyway, her name is, I'm not going to pronounce it right. Avery T U Essex. T-I-I-U is how she spells the uh, the middle name there. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing that one right. But I thought she was like re- like a really naturally talented, like child actor kind of performance where she nailed every single beat and I believed everything she did. I can always count on you to shout out the child actors. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very impressed. Especially with a, this isn't a movie that's easy on her either. So she, she worked with the material well. Is this one of those, like, uh, Blumhouse fits into the category of social thriller type having a message, or is it more of their old school style? I mean, it's not... I'm trying to... So here, here's the headings of my two categories right now. It's like the get out category and the truth or dare category. Is that where I'm filing this? I think that's about right. Yeah. But so like, I would also say that Sweetheart falls into the get out category because it has something to say beyond the monsters. I think this is trying to say something. Okay. that's. I can't can't quite put a finger on what it's trying to say that I might not have already thought before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever the message is of this movie, it didn't really click for me at all. I didn't get it. Cool. Uh, I'll still watch it. I'm I'm probably watching it this weekend because yeah. I like the cast. I'd like to know what you think when you're done with it. Uh, me too. And it's by like, I mean, 
I really like Stir of Echoes. David Cope wrote that. And uh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm very, I'm, I guess I'm just resistant to say that I, I'm not excited for this movie because it has so many things about it that I like. And, you know, I'm a little hyped for like a David Cope. Is it Cope? Coep? Cope? Cope? Coep? I don't know. <laughs> Him and Kevin Bacon reuniting on a like domestic horror thriller does a lot for me in theory. I was just looking up the novel that it's based on and I'm, I'm, I don't know after like, even though not liking a movie usually doesn't drive you to read the source material in this case, I'd be curious to see what the, the mystery more fleshed out is Mm -hmm. like. All right. All right. But I don't know. I mean, one way or the other, the movie was incredibly slow. (laughs) I think I was a little less forgiving of that this time around, because I, I even messaged you the night before I tried to rewatch the black coat's daughter and I still don't like it. Yeah. I still just, I don't know. And it, it bums me out too, because you know, I saw that movie at TIFF when it premiered and it was going by the title February and I didn't give it the most positive review. And then it came out and everyone got obsessed with it. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? And I think it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't surprise me at all, actually. It totally feels like that type of movie that I really like. The really, like, slow, draggy, artsy-fartsy, super dark, no hope for your soul type drama that I love. That you're always like, yeah, I don't, I'll don't. i just watch us again. I think I'm good. Yeah, pretty much. What a description you just gave that, too. <laughs> I still love it, but it definitely drags and is super up its butt. I can admit that. Yes, it is. <laughs> What's the last thing you watched? Um, I haven't watched anything like really good that's horror lately. I've actually gone down a bit of a King Arthur rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to love that stuff when I was younger, and there's just so much of it. And I do, I do adore a topic that you could study your whole life and still not know everything, which oh. is very much the matter of Britain qualifies. And I. I'm going to be reviewing that new Netflix show. Curse. Curse. Yes. Which I can't say anything about yet, but we'll get there. <gasps> You've and seen some of it. I watched all of them. Oh my God. Cause I have a King Arthur addiction problem. You need to, we're going to, we're going to talk after this broadcast ends. We need to know. Oh yeah. We'll talk. So <laughs> I'm so uh, bad at reading your expressions. That's good. I'm trying to be like oh, vague because it's under embargo, but you can read it on the 15th of July. Um, that kind of sparked me to go back down this obsession. So I've been in the background rewatching Merlin, which is a very goofy, repetitive, but fun show. Okay. And I find it like the perfect show for right now because I just am, I know what's going to happen. Not because I've seen it, but because the show follows a formula. Yeah. And, um, have I've been, you seen the kid who would be king? Yes. Very enjoy that movie. Very cute. Um, I didn't go quite as crazy for it. Like, I know a lot of people went hard yeah. on the kid who would be king. I enjoyed it, though. And, yeah, I'm rereading um, Le Mort d'Arthur, which is fucking dense. Oh, my God. That, that old language is just a killer. And I'll read, you know, three pages and be like, I think think I know what happened, but I'm going to go reference the internet to make sure I got all that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know those books. Yeah. Usually I avoid them. And there are some descriptions in there that I'm like, wow, that's gnarly. There's one that's like, um, 
I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, and nobody could tell it was Arthur because his sword was all blood and brains. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Okay. That's, that is a visual. That's graphic. Huh. And then there was one that was super repetitive. I wish I had my Kindle with me, but it was like, and so blood they, so blood they both, that the ground was soaked with blood and all was blood and bleeding. I don't know. It said blood four times in the same sentence. And I was like, okay, that paints a picture. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm uh, way deep into Arthur stuff, which is not horror, but there are horror elements with the beasts and the, the dark wizards and witches and whatnot. Yes. Yes. And horror, blood and rain on the sword. <laughs> That doesn't sound like uh, half bad reading right now. I'm still chipping away because I haven't been running as much at uh, uh, the new Stephen King book, If It Bleeds. Hmm. I, I'm blood again. What? Oh, yeah, really? Blood. So so far, we're on that in the book. It's not very bloody, though. Yeah. I know right. King for time. I know, I know what the title refers to more so, though. Mm. Is it like, like a Like legit gore. Or at least at, thi- at this point. Like I'm reading into it a very particular way. I liked the first section that Will... Uh, obviously I'm listening to the audiobook. And the, the section that Will Patton narrates is like right up my alley. Nice. The, se- the second section hasn't quite hooked me yet. But I think it could get there. Very cool. I need to... Well, I mean, I am reading. I need to read more. Because it's like I'm reading like five pages of Lamorte d'Arthur every day, and that's okay. not very impressive work. Well, again, dense material. Take your time. Really, really far to do it. It's a big book, though. It's going to take a long, long time, <laughs> and Kurt comes out awful soon. Sorry I keep looking down. I have, like, a little nugget of a kitten on my lap who's fast asleep. I would show everybody, but, like, I'm in sweatpants, guys. Yeah, and he's cranky today. Don't wake the baby. You know, he is cranky today. He's pissed that I left him this morning. Okay. I, had, I had to go ahead. It was actually, this is a good transition to another topic we want to talk about because I think today might've been, I don't, I don't think it might've been, it was the first day I left the house to like go into a place of business. Wow. The most I've done since is go like pull up to the Starbucks drive through, but I haven't actually been into a store since all of this started. Really? Yeah. Well, it's it's because, like, my mentality when I first got home is my parents refused to stop going to the supermarket and Costco. So why am I going to start going as well to increase the risk when they're just bringing food home for everyone anyway? And they won't then, like, I'm not allowed to go in their place because they must go themselves. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, I I went to a doctor appointment today and it was it was intense. It's like. What, what I experienced today, I imagine, is like peak precaution. I had to wait outside in the car in a virtual waiting room until they texted me that my appointment was up. Then you walk through the lobby where there was essentially no one. There was one other person ahead of me. But you walk through like a roped area in order to get to a stand with a security guard where there were free masks that you could take, hand sanitizers for you to use, and he took your temperature. So... Stood slightly more than even what I've seen. Really? There's more see. of six foot distance lines outside the building, not the virtual waiting room. That's fancy. Yeah, well, we had a, I also had to stand six feet behind the guy who was ahead of me in that line. And then after I got through the temperature check, 
I couldn't even go into like the suite with my doctor in it. I had to wait for one of their nurses to open the door for me. Then I had another verbal COVID-19 check where he asked me a whole bunch of questions. And, you know, everyone in there was wearing gloves and masks. And the the waiting room was so spread out with like next to no one in that. Like, I must have been more like, like at least 12 feet away from the next patient. And they, they were just like on their game with all of it. That's great. Yeah. I, when the pandemic very first started, I went to pick up my medications and everything was still pretty normal. Um, and then the next month when I went to refill, it was what you're describing this full, like, and at the time, the first time I saw it, I was like, well, this is very dystopian. And now I'm like, why is everybody not acting like this? It, it was a little bit of a shock to me because I hadn't really been out much. Like yeah. it, it's weird to see things that were such like a specific routine turned on its head so drastically. And that is what this felt like, but that brings us to a, a big topic of conversation right now, because as we all well know, they announced certain plans for theaters for multiplexes to reopen. And in AMC theaters initial statement, they said that they were not requiring people to wear masks. There was outrage on the internet. And as of today, they reversed that decision. They're going back. And I applaud that. So Haley, I do want to know what was your reaction when you saw their statement and that they weren't requiring masks. And now, even though they are, are you actually going to go? No. Yeah. Me neither. Um, No, I'm not going to sit in a freaking small room with strangers while they take down their masks to eat whatever they buy at this concession stand for two hours or whatever. Um, But that's me. I'm not doing it. And I thought that the, You know, I thought Matt wrote a really excellent editorial for the website about why it was so sort of despicable to do that and to obviously put your money ahead of your customer's well-being. And that's really all it's about is the money. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that, though. Like, I definitely wasn't going to go without mask. And I'm still not going with mask. And this is the thing is, like, I don't know that there's enough people who care about movies that were going to movies before anyway, who are willing to go right now in any capacity. Um, And that's sort of what I thought Matt got at in his editorial that was really interesting was like these movie theater chains just may not survive this time, but that doesn't mean it's the end of movie theaters. There will be new companies who come in. I don't know. It's very interesting. I'm not going. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going. I mean, look at me. I'm the one who hasn't been out of the house to a public place in a long time, or at least like an indoor public place. You know, I've like I've seen I've seen my sister. I've gone outside to grab the food from from a delivery person. Like I haven't been completely shut in, but I'm 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 scared. Like I'm I'm too scared, and it's it's not worth it. And until I know there's a certain level of safety, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to risk it for myself, for my loved ones, and for the other people that could be infected. It just... The other thing, too, it's not just, like, that I'm worried about myself getting sick, although I am, because I am at at risk groups health-wise. I've had asthma since I was a kid. It's not 
you know, a scene I want to be a part of. Um, but I also am not willing to possibly kill somebody to see Tenet. Like, even if I turn out to be somebody who doesn't have bad symptoms, or if it turns out that that horrifying cold I had earlier this year actually was COVID because studies seem to be indicating it came to California early. Hmm. Um, and if, which we don't know, <laughs> if you have have it, had it and you can't get it again, all that being said, I still wouldn't want to go because I don't want to hurt someone else. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it all comes down to. And, you know, I, I know theaters and studios are in a tough spot where, I mean, especially the theater chains, they're, they're not making any money and they're all pay- paying rent on these facilities. I know that is a miserable position for a company to be in, but it's, it seems like the desperation to get back to opening businesses is going to wind up, you know, ultimately circling back and smacking you in the face when things have to shut down again. Like, why don't we just kill this thing dead and then return? Like, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to say, wait, especially when it's your livelihood and your company and your job at stake. But no, it just seems like health should come first right now. Well, it certainly should. And, you know, what we're seeing is the nations and the people of those nations who did put health first are, unsurprisingly, finding their way back to normalcy sooner. Yeah. We have not had that experience. And because we are such an enormous country of so many states with so many different beliefs, and because the federal government did opt to put it all on the state to state basis, what we have is a patchwork that's ultimately untenable and has left us three months later, kind of where we started. Mm-hmm. Broker. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. what what is your prediction now with how all of this is going? First off, let's take it step by step here. Do you really think that theaters are going to go through with opening in July? I do. I think they're going to try. Um, I think they feel like they have to because of all the reasons you said the mm-hmm. rent being foremost among them, especially since most of these theater chains hold down rent in cities like Los Angeles and New York and central areas where the rent is astronomically horrifying. Um, I think they will try. I don't know if it's going to last. I guess it depends on if people will go. And Mm -hmm. again, I think it's important not to underestimate the importance of LA and New York where they do a lot of their business where we are still very much uh, in the process of reopening. Whereas, um, you know, some, some smaller population States in, you know, inland in the country may have become further along in that process. Uh, LA and New York still like, we're not on lockdown anymore, but there are so many rules. Um, so many people are not comfortable going out yet. I don't know. I just really think that those markets are not going to be there for it. And those are huge markets for movie theaters. Yeah. I'm, I hate being the Debbie Downer, but I can't, I can't deny it here. I I don't think this is going to work. I think we're in, we're in two situations with this potential July opening. I think there's a, a very real possibility that, even though, like, I'm trying to, you know, understand all the news and the terminology and everything, 
Because like every single time someone says second wave, then a doctor is like, this isn't the second wave. We're still in the first wave. So whatever, whatever wave we're in, I'm very concerned about seeing another peak around July time, which could derail this planned opening to begin with. I think that's a very real possibility. But even if they do go through with the plan and as many locations open as intended, I still think it's going to be like a complete and utter failure. Because even if there are a significant amount of movie lovers out there who want to take the risk and go see the movies, I don't think it's going to be enough to sustain the business. And I also think that anybody who goes out to see a movie weekend one is probably like we're still in the same situation as we were uh, prior to the pandemic with the cost of going to a movie also. And people don't like it's not like a restaurant where someone will go back once a week. I don't think that's happening either. I mean, I I guess that maybe there's the thought that perhaps people are so desperate to get out of their house that if they can find a way to do this safely, that that might feel like a safer way to go out. But it's not. But it might feel that way. Um, But I just, I don't, I understand uh, we live in our bubbles that reinforce our beliefs, especially Mm -hmm. now more than ever with our social media circles. I know maybe two people of everyone I know in every state in America, in every country in the world that would be willing to go right now. And these are people who generally don't pay attention to the science and just want to go out into the world again. Yeah. So I, I assure you that I may not be the most popular person in the world, but a number of two is a very small percentage of the people I know across the whole world. Yeah, I, th- I think this is I think this is a doomed effort. And I also think they're underestimating how heavily reliant on the, the, the on the uh, distributors they're going to be also. Because I know they're saying they're opening with Mulan and Tenet. But the, how those movies do, <laughs> if they come out then. Yeah is going to dictate the rest of the release calendar. And I am fairly certain that the money that those big movies make is going, like, if anything, is going to send all other future releases or, like, future releases immediately following those running scared. I don't think they can afford to have losses like that. I I agree. I mean, I think that there's really interesting implications for the future of the film industry and, like, is this unprecedented, unexpected, well, mostly unexpected viral contagion going to be the thing that forces studios to go back to, to reasonable budgets finally. So that, you know, cause even uh, whatever happens right now in this immediate interim, there is going to be like a long journey back to trust and, and comfort being in public for, for, Anybody, they're calling it re-entry anxiety, you know, like it's, oh, it's without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that theater attendance was already terrible. Um, and it's going to be worse now and it's going to be worse for a long time. So the it seems the only way to deal with that is to stop spending so much fucking money all the time, right? Like that's the only way you can start making money again. I can't wait to get more like long-term data about the, the PVOD strategy 
Yeah. Like, and, and we're going to have to wait a while to see how that really pans out. And I'm not just talking about the amount of money they make during the initial release time. I'm also talking about how a PVOD release affects ancillary, ancillary markets too. And that's going to take a while to wait out and then figure out the money and balance it all out and see how profitable the, the strategy really is. But and to see how that tug of war between, you know, distributors who are like, if you do that, we won't play your movies and studios being like, yeah, we just made so much money. We don't care. Yeah. I, I think it's going to put the ball in the studio's court quite yeah. a bit. Like, especially like when you think about the timing too of the streaming wars and almost every major studio now having their own streaming service. Like I know there's still issues like what we just covered with certain DC movies leaving HBO Max just a month after launch. That's just because they had pre likely at least that they had pre-existing arrangements based on what's on demand through HBO. But that's, that's going to dictate a lot of things with new releases in the future when those streaming services need content, especially if we wind up in a position where they're lagging with new content also and need to use these planned theatrical releases to fill that library. Yep. I'm really intrigued. Netflix hasn't held back at all in releasing. No. Smart, because when especially in the early lockdown when no one had anywhere else to be or anything to do. Netflix, I imagine some must've seen the best numbers ever with that. I I couldn't imagine it being otherwise. And that that's what my viewing habits have skewed towards. I was always a big Netflix fan, but the, the percentage of time I am spending on Netflix compared to other services, like it's night and day. I just think it's like a comfort button, right? You know what you're going to get. That's how I feel. I like, I think you know what you're going to get, but also I can always count on having variety there. And I think it also, I think it's also directly connected to their interface and how comfortable I am with it. I do think that their user inf- interface is very easily like, like I can navigate it. Like I know exactly where to go and the exact amount of clicks it takes me to find something. And I think that's partly because it is you know, well-designed and easy to use, but also because Netflix has been around for way longer. Right. It's comfortable. It's home. It's, we know, we know where we store things that we want to access and I don't, but they didn't ration at all. Like it doesn't seem, they just full tilt content. It doesn't run out. Uh, I don't, I don't know about that because also like, just, just think about how many things, like are dropped on our laps at the very last minute to cover as a Netflix release. Like things that we didn't even know were in production. I almost feel like the fact that that was already true is going to let them be maybe a little sneaky about how they spread it out where we don't necessarily feel the lull in content, but maybe there's like a couple less things. That's true. And they also have, you know, you can, you can do animation safely at home. Um, there's, and, and while America is on what seems to be a very, very long and difficult road back to a safe, um, holistic American reopening, uh, there are other countries in the world that have done it more successfully and they yeah. will be able to film there. So I guess, yeah. That's true. And I don't know, once, once production is more so underway than it is now, I wouldn't be surprised if, especially a company like Netflix was just go, 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 go. 
They'll figure it out. That's the thing. Netflix, like, the movie theaters are holding on to something that I think COVID may have killed, like a way of life that might not exist anymore. Yeah. Or at least not for a very long time. Um, Netflix is one of the best innovators in the game, so they'll mm-hmm. figure it out. Oh, my. The algorithm. <laughs> the algorithm. Man. Like, I, I, I know I know we might sound like broken records at this point, but holy shit, I cannot believe what this has all come to. I know. It's like ever everything we know about our day-to-day working for Collider and just the future of the film industry in general is is going to change entirely. It's yeah, it's like very scary, but it's also exciting in certain ways. I don't want to see that. There, um, there are certain things where like when I wasn't able to do them anymore, I felt the loss of them. But then all of a sudden I started to, I don't know, I guess see the silver lining or the excitement of pursuing a new route to do the same thing and how that could maybe freshen things up a little. And I don't know. Like, even though maybe it is a negative thing in some senses, I feel like if you, like, you attack it with a positive mentality and you make the most out of it, it's like, it's like when you talk about film production and something gets, like, totally messed up on one day, but you wind up making something even better because it didn't go according to plan. I don't know. I just, you know, that positive mentality. I'm, I'm holding no, to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think it's easy to forget about that, but, like, it takes something like this to force us into mass changes that otherwise could take decades. Yeah. Now that can be good or bad. <laughs> I'm skewing towards optimism that this will force the uh, entertainment industry to reconsider a lot of the way a lot of things are done. And hopefully that will, you know, lead to positive changes. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee, but it, it is an industry full of innovators and creatives. And so I'm, I'm intrigued by what comes next. Yes, as am I. Oh, my God. I love ending a little conversation like this on a positive note. <laughs> no, makes- I mean, we're all fucked and we're going to die, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just science. We are all going to die eventually, no, but not, not from this. That that was legit a scene in uh, in You Should Have Left last night, too. <laughs> There, like Kevin Bacon has a conversation with the daughter where he, like, he essentially says as much because he's so much older than Amanda Seyfried. So the kid asks him, he's like, "Oh, so like you're gonna die a lot sooner than mommy, right?" <laughs> it's a very <laughs> intense conversation. I feel like out of context, that sounds awful, but you know, yeah. you know what? Perspective can be really helpful for a kid, though. I, uh, I mean, good on them for tackling such a tough conversation in a movie. I guess I don't know. My dad very much didn't tell me that, but like taught me that uh, life has a long timeline and the things you think matter really don't matter 10 years from now and keep it all into perspective with mortality and like what's important. And I think that served me well. He never gave me the we're all going to die one day talk. (laughs) No, that was pretty much what that amounted to at a point. (laughs) I do think about that often thanks to the, you know, on this day memory thing that certain social media platforms offer. And, you know, I don't know when you look back to like a photo from 10 years ago and you realized how important something was to you then, and that it was kind of me now it's, it doesn't mean as much. Like, I don't know, encourages you to chill out and roll with it and do the best you can. 
and helped me get through being a teenager. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Constant reminder, like you won't care. Had those days. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward, do we want to maybe highlight a couple of upcoming releases that we are both very excited about and maybe, maybe going to cover? Yes, please. So the big one is Relic. I am mighty excited for that movie to come out. And I'm beyond thrilled to get to rewatch it too, because you know what the film festival mentality is like. It's just like cram all the movies impossible, write down all the questions and then just get on with it. This is a movie that calls for like multiple watches and to sit and to think and to process. And the fact that I'm finally getting the opportunity to do it because of what we've got planned for that movie. I don't know about you, but I'm so beyond thrilled about it. I'm really excited. I I wasn't, you know, covering the festival the way you were, but the way the, I had an interview for that. So the way it was set up with me was like, I got the screener and I had almost exactly the amount of time to watch the screener before the interview started. So I did not have time to process or think at all. And I'm very really good interview, you know? Oh, thanks. Like maybe you should just do that for all your interviews then. Just not prep at all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I thought, I that I don't know because I obviously read that conversation very thoroughly because they were coming into the suite in Park City. Right. And I don't know. It just seemed like very thoughtful to me. Well, thank you. I like the movie a lot. I mean it. But I am I am excited to sit back and like just watch it without having to think of questions while I'm watching it. Yeah. And it has stuck with me since seeing it, even having seen it in those stressful conditions. Yeah. I also think the other exciting thing about that movie is, you know, everybody's busy writing their filmmakers to watch list. Like mm-hmm. we're going to get to talk to one because I really do think Natalie Erica James is probably one of the most exciting new filmmakers out there right now. And I don't know when you just see what she does with this movie, you know, tonally, thematically, stylistically, you know, production design wise, working with her and so- like she seems to tick every single box to me. Yeah, it's very impressive. And it's also, I don't know, maybe a testament to some of the national filmmaker programs they have in other countries. Like she was able to go to the set of Upgrade and shadow Lee Wanell through the entire process because that was a part of her filmmaking study mm-hmm. program. And that's pretty incredible. Why don't we have something like that? That's amazing. Yeah. There's, there's so many great opportunities like that all over the globe that I wish were just like amplified big time. Not to diminish her talent in any way, but like, man, what a, what a way to learn the actual, how it works on a set. For sure. Um, I can't, I can't wait to talk a little bit more in depth about that. And especially when we can talk about it with spoilers, because that's going to be a good spoiler conversation. Heavy shit to talk about. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's that one. And St. Maud is still scheduled for a theatrical release mid July. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Hmm. I got feelings about that. I love that movie. You love that movie. We both love that movie. We don't love the idea of theaters reopening. And also, like, St. Maud is a beautifully shot movie. And I'm sure it would be wonderful on the big screen. But it's not one that necessitates the big screen to me. I would agree. I did. I was lucky enough to see it that way at Fantastic Fest last year. But it, it would work at home. It's not like a spectacle piece. Yeah. Um, I, know. I I watched it. I watched it in our apartment, our Airbnb, while we were at 
in Toronto last year. And it's one, it's one of those ones where I don't know. I I'm looking forward to like watching it on my computer with the, with the screen super close to my face in bed in the middle of the night and just watching like the darkness of the real world, like melt away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's there's something I really appreciate as much as I love, love the big screen and seeing a movie as a filmmaker intends. There's something I appreciate about that. Like, solo middle of the night in the dark experience, especially when it comes into, comes to a movie like that. Yeah. I've, uh, so the, the thing about horror movies in a theater is I don't get as scared because you're surrounded by other people who could feasibly help you. Um, uh, only when I've been lucky enough to be in a movie theater that's completely empty have I recaptured the experience of what you describe, where you're like in your bed in the dark, right up in it. I feel like something about what you just said is a great horror, like a horror scene idea. But I guess then again, now that I'm saying it, that's kind of what they did in Scream Two, where they turned it on its head, where you're in a theater full of people and nobody goes to help you. Right, right, right. That's why I said feasibly. Yeah. <laughs> I probably believe they would, but yeah. in theory. That opening sequence is so good. It really is. Well, all of Scream 2 is so good. Yes. All of Scream 2. I was, I was about to say all of the Scream movies have great opening sequences, but, you know, I'll admit Scream 3 is a little weak in that department. Isn't Scream 3? Yeah. I don't. The, the cotton one. Yeah. Fuck that. No. Well, I'm going to go as far to say fuck that. It just pales in comparison to the other ones. I just love that character and love I? and thought that was a bummer. It's sort of like I I have myself moved past it, but I understand the way a lot of people feel about the beginning of Alien Three because that's how I feel about the beginning of Scream Three. I get it. I, it's it's so unfortunate too when when like Wes Craven and the team took the step to embrace Cotton, which was an unnecessary step in two. And they did something so interesting with him that teed up the possibility of so much more. And then they're just like, Nope, not going to do that. Boom. Dead. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. So we have relic St. Maud. Mm-hmm. The rental is coming up too. that. I haven't watched it, but I'm going to watch it. Likewise. I'm curious. That's Dave Franco's directorial debut. Good cast helps to be, Dave Franco, when you're casting your first feature, I imagine. This is true. Um, and yeah, it, it looks it looks fun. And they put out the trailer yesterday, right? I yeah. didn't watch it. I'm oh. going to, because I, I have my link because I'm prepping for interviews for, for an interview that semi involves it next week. That was like a really cryptic explainer. I don't know why I'm not just saying it, but I'm also like, I'm terrified to ever say anything before we announce it. So I'm just not going to jinx it. And things get canceled. You know, because I have the link already, though. I might as well just not watch the trailer and watch the movie. Makes sense. Because I very rarely have that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, it looks fun. It's going to drive-ins is that correct yeah i know they did a drive-in event last night in la with ArcLight, which you know i'm i'm sad i wasn't able to attend myself because that sounded like a lot of fun but it, it is one of the movies hitting you know the limited amount of drive-in theaters we have in the country mm-hmm. i feel like the genre movies have fared fairly well being released like that because that's how the wretched made its money really yeah, that the wretched. I I remember what was it? April was making headlines because it was the highest grossing movie in the country. I didn't, 
I didn't realize it was from drive-ins. I for yeah. some thought it was VOD. I think I think I have seen Midnight has actually made the most of the drive-in experience because I, you know, just based on going on Box Office Mojo very sporadically at this point, it's it was the wretched for a while and how to build a girl too. That's cool. I like that. I think that they're an underrated horror distributor. So I'm I glad that they sort of innovated and came out of this well. Yeah. I, I think they usually pick some real good content. Yeah. Not a hundred percent, but like even no. 24 is not a hundred percent. Yeah. Nobody is. Exactly. Nobody is. You just do your best. What was it? Um, there was something going around on wholesome memes, which is a lovely subreddit that makes me feel better. But it was someone from the Great British Baking Show, and they were like, you should always do your best. You can always do your best. You can't always be the best, but you can always do your best. That's nice. That's lovely. That I, is wholesome. I feel like I should print that out and paste it on my wall or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. This was nice. This was nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like I needed like a sit back, chill, and just like speak your mind. Have some chats. Yeah, chats are nice, Haley, especially with you. And when we're talking about horror, tease before we wind this down. I don't really have anything exciting coming up. Um, let me think. You tease. I don't know what I'm allowed to tease. <laughs> is the problem. <laughs> I I have a couple of um, actually. I'll give you a specific number. I have four interviews coming up next week that I'm very excited about all four, like all people that I really admire and I'm excited about their work. So that's, that's a positive thing. Yeah. I've been watching the 100s final season and really enjoying it. And we'll probably write something about that. Um, I have something I could specifically tease. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, For anybody out there who has seen seven, five, zero, zero, we're going to have, um, they're, they're light, admittedly, but we got some spoiler quotes from the director. So it's like, if you're, you're wondering why he made certain decisions for the ending of that movie, I would highly recommend keeping an eye on the site because his answers will, you know, you know, at least clarify his intentions and what led him to that point while making the movie. They're cool. Very nice. I got to check that one out. Um, I like it for the most part. Yeah, I, I think certain things about it could have been stronger, but I feel like you know my taste when it comes to uh, unique storytelling formats and how that always does intrigue me. And I really liked how he tried to work with the idea of shooting basically 99% of the movie in the cockpit. I really, really like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I'm glad he's oh, returning to acting. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. <sighs> It's a gifted young man, always has been. Yep. Um, I don't. Did you ever see Mysterious Skin, Gregor? Mysterious Skin. Who made that? Gregor Aki. Oh, oh, I know. Yes, I have seen this. It's been a very, very long time. It's weird that like I didn't remember the title, but the second I saw the poster, I knew exactly what it was. <laughs> Tim Brady Corbett, right? I think that's the co-star, and just for my maybe. money, maybe the best performance of Brady Corbett's another one who just like endlessly fascinates me. <laughs> I still can't quite process that he directed Vox Lux. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I can't process that he directed Vox Lux. And I I covered the, the movie he had directed before that. And like, just like it blew my mind. He's just like such an interesting actor and storyteller now. I did not like Vox Lux, but I respect really? it. Really? Oh, I liked Vox Lux quite a bit, which 
I feel like we're having a role reversal. For whatever reason, I feel like that'd be a you kind of movie that I seem to like more. I thought it would be too. I was very wrong. <laughs> oh, maybe it wasn't the movie he directed that I interviewed him for. I, I, I interviewed him for one that he co-wrote, apparently. I don't know. That was so many years ago. I can't even remember what happened yesterday. No way. What's the <laughs> point? It's all the same day. That That's... That's what it is. But you know what? If this one big day includes Dewey time and talking horror with Haley, I'm going to be happy with it for now. Yay. Yeah, we're, we're making it work. We're making it work. We're finding the bright spots in this whole mess that's happening right now. That's it for this episode of The Witching Hour. Haley, where can everybody find your wonderful work on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch. Same on Letterboxd. You can find me on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. And, of course, on Collider, where you can find both of us. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at PNemeroff as well. That is it. We hope you guys are all staying safe and healthy out there. You have officially survived the witching hour. And end broadcast. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.